Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your co-host, Cliff Schechter, here with my co-host, John Aravosis. Hey hello. John. Hello, hello. Um, we're, we are lucky enough today to have an old friend, not old, a friend <laughs> I've known for a number of years uh, now, um, and um, who, you know, well, let me just say, who it is? Fred Gutenberg. Um, Fred is, is a gun violence activist, anti-gun violence activist, obviously. Um, gun Fred safety. Been, is that, that, that's, yeah, that's probably the best way of putting it, Fred. Yeah. Um, so Fred, so Fred works for gun safety. Um, he lost his daughter, daughter, sadly, uh, in the Parkland tragedy. Uh, and since then has started an organization called Orange Ribbons for Jamie to raise money, uh, to, I, I believe the money all goes to, uh, preventing gun violence to gun safety. Um, Fred has recently written a book uh, that is a bestseller, isn't it, Fred? Uh, It is. And I'm not surprised. uh, Listen, fortunately, um, you know, people are are buying it and reading it and um, hopefully getting some important messages out of it. And, um, you know, I'm very thankful. Yep. So it's called Find the Helpers, What 9-11 in Parkland Taught Me About Recovery, Purpose, and Hope. And I would tell people, it's an incredibly inspiring book after suffering dual tragedies. A lot of folks know about what happened to Fred's daughter in Parkland. They do not know that his brother was one of the first responders at, uh, at, at the attack in downtown Manhattan after on 9-11, was trapped there um, and breathed in some of those chemicals and eventually um, uh, succumbed to cancer. So um, welcome to the show, Fred. Uh, thank thank you. you for for all you do. Um and uh, how, how's the book tour treating you? Well, <laughs> um, different. Um, it's not like book, door, book tours in uh, the days pre-COVID. Oh, right. Are um, you even traveling or is it all uh, virtual or how are you doing it? It's me sitting here at my desk um, doing interviews from my desk um, <laughs> and hmm. doing, you know, traditional media interviews, but even with bookstores, everything is online. Now we do these online conferences. I mean, tomorrow um, I'll be recording an interview with Neil Katyal, um, who everyone oh, cool. probably knows um, uh, for an event with the Miami book fair. Um, next week I'm doing one where Glenn Kirshner is going to interview me. Um, so it's a different style you know, but it's all being done through different bookstores around the country. And um, while it's, it saves you a lot of time with regards to travel, it does remove you from that ability to just engage people in person, which I like to do. Well, and you have the personality for it. I will say that I've met Fred, um, uh, Fred, his sister, Abby, there's a, a family connection in Cincinnati. Uh, his sister, Abby, is a doctor here. And we actually were both on the, the board of Planned Parenthood of Southwest Ohio together. So I knew Abby previous to knowing Fred and to all of this. And she's terrific and fights for what's right, too. Um, she does. Uh, she sure does. Um, and, uh, you know, Cliff, um, I wanted to I wanted to mention really quick. And if there's, because we have some listeners, Fred, from uh, the UK, friends of mine there and some others, if people, uh, if by chance you don't know who Fred is, he's the guy who tried to shake Brett Kavanaugh's hand during the confirmation hearings a couple of years ago and Kavanaugh refused and walked away. That's Fred. Because I think everyone will remember that. revealing moments of Kavanaugh's character and Brett. The look on his face, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
What was that like, Fred? Yeah, I was saying, can we ask you about that right now? But just to start with, what? what Listen, we'll get back to your book, just so you know. I want to yeah. talk about it. Just yeah. go ahead on, on Kavanaugh, certainly. The Kavanaugh thing got weird after it actually happened. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I was there at the hearings. I was actually um, talking to Senator Blumenthal just before the lunch break. Right. And as I turned away from Senator Blumenthal, Kavanaugh was turning from whoever he was talking to. We were just feet from each other. Right. And so I walked over and I went to shake his hand and it got rejected as everyone saw. I just figured that moment ended there until right. actually Abby started texting me not long after. She's like, oh my God, what happened? There's this picture. Everybody is blowing up online. And you know the AP caught the handshake rejection on camera amazing um and the rest is history so in the moment it was just like wow what a jerk you know i didn't think anything beyond that um you know i i I simply uh, introduced myself the way i always do which is you know hi i am fred guttenberg father of jamie guttenberg who was murdered in parkland um and as soon as i got to that murdered in parkland part he just turned um you know uh some of the uh um uh trump officials that were there with him just grabbed him and marched with them um oh i had fred i had no idea you had actually said that and he heard it oh no he heard i thought i thought he thought you were some stranger so i was at least giving him an ounce of credit okay some guy you didn't know he heard you 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 were related to the parkland disaster tragedy And he turned and walked away. He knew but, number one, he geez. knew I wasn't a stranger. Let's be clear how that you're talking to the senator before that, yeah. Yeah. And let's I was an invited guest of right. Right. you weren't somebody who just busted into the damn hearing. You were invited there. I mean, yeah. I, I was not with the the protesters, just so you're clear on how this room is set up. You have that right. U-shaped table where all the senators sit. And then you have kind of in the middle of the U, you have Kavanaugh and his people. And then behind them, you have all of the seated invited guests. Right. Behind them, you have the seated media. And behind that, you have the protesters. They're way back in the back of the room. And no protester walks in that room without security on both sides of them. So they're screaming and yelling, but they're not going anywhere. Right. Um, they walk in one door and out the other. And anyone in that room knew how it was set up. I knew how it was set up. Kavanaugh knew how it was set up. When Senator Feinstein introduced me, I was actually standing at my seat because whenever I go to these things in Washington, I just, I refuse to sit. I don't want to make people feel comfortable in these events where the reality of what happened to my family comes up. So I don't sit when I go to these things. It's just like, I call it a form of protest. So when I was introduced all the cameras were taking pictures of me because I was standing while everyone else was sitting. Kavanaugh saw it. Oh, when I, when I was talking to Senator Blumenthal, I was now in that middle of that U where all the senators sit. Right. You can't get there unless you're invited. Right, so, unless you're somebody. Yeah. 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 So I introduced myself. I told him exactly who I was. He was looking in my eyes until I got to the murdered in Parkland. And then Don McGann, um, and the security guy just marched him out. Kind Again, of I brought up the other questions. Yeah. But what was crazy is after lunch, when we came back, 
um, because not only did he know who I was, he was was um, perceptive enough to notice the three bracelets that I had on my wrist, all having to do with Jamie. An orange one, a white one with orange markings, and there was one that said MSD. And when I came back, I only know he was perceptive enough because within minutes, um, I was greeted by armed law enforcement that pulled me out of the room and wanted to see the bracelets and wanted to know what they meant. The only person who could have told law enforcement about those was Kavanaugh. And what could Uh, these bracelets possibly be? Like, were they they an unknown James Bond-like weapon? I mean, what are they doing? They, as soon as I showed them what it was, they they were just like, "We apologize. We well, had but what, to check." But what but, even but let me so let me finish yeah. this. Yeah, it, it got worse because they ended up pulling me into a private hallway, which made me a little nervous because nobody else was coming in the hallway. Yeah. They did a background check on me, um, and when I went back into the room, Kavanaugh's security guy who was sitting with McGann all morning was now sitting by my seat and refusing to let me stand or promising me that I would be physically removed. So I sat for the rest of the afternoon. Um, But Kavanaugh is a jerk. Um, He lied under oath following this because the next day, Lindsey Graham asked him about what happened and he refused to answer it. And the next day, because I was there for three days, the next day, nobody asked him about it. But again, I was still there. Under oath a week later, in his response to written questions that were follow-up questions from the senators, he gave a written response to what happened by saying he only wished he had known who I was. And if he had, he would have, of course, offered his condolences and spoken to me. He had three days to do it, and he chose not to. But under oath and those written responses, that was his reply. He lied. Yeah. If he's going to lie about what happened with me, he'll lie about anything. That's the thing is I think the process and what you did with him showed him. I mean, again, we're not talking liberal or conservative now, right? I don't like John. No, I don't like John Gorsuch. Integrity, integrity right. is red or blue. It, it, you know, right. so- I don't like Gorsuch, and I don't think he should have gotten a seat because that was a stolen seat. But that's a whole different thing. There's no – there the the legion of stories and the things like what happened with you that that made clear that this guy is a, is a serial liar and someone you can't trust about who lacks any character much like the president who nominated him correct that was what was incredible to me about is you exposed him in that moment and i think yeah yeah go ahead no excuse me but imagine i'm still hung up on the bracelet thing that imagine kavanaugh afterwards said oh my god and he was wearing three bracelets what did it mean i mean what what even is that they, I guess they, I think what they were thinking is I was some protester um, who had messages, hidden messages in these bracelets on his wrist. Oh, it was so bizarre. It was, it was, it was silly. Um, if they'd know, been hidden QAnon messages, though, it would have been okay. It was only a problem uh, because, you know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, listen, and, but, you know, you're talking about bizarre incidents. So, um, we all know also what happened this year at the state of the union. Um, and when I was you there, were escorted out, right? I was escorted out. I was detained, cuffed, handcuffed to a wall, transported. Um, it was, but here's what in hindsight um, 
it's even more bizarre because I listen, I yelled Can you out tell people the story about what exactly what happened. Well, yeah. So I got really upset earlier in the speech when the president was saying things about quote unquote illegals and they're responsible for all violence and everything else. And my daughter was killed by a teenage American male, not any quote unquote illegal. So I was getting really annoyed. But then when he got to the part about the Second Amendment and I will protect your Second Amendment, which is under attack all over this country, which is a lie, right. um, I got upset and annoyed. But when all the Republicans on that side of the aisle jumped up like a bunch of trained animals and started cheering, I you can imagine lost it. You. Yeah. And I just said, what about victims of gun violence like my daughter? And for that um, – I was escorted out, immediately cuffed, removed. All my personal belongings were removed. Um, I was transported in a metal box that I could not see out of and cuffed and no lights inside of it. So I was scared, to be honest, out of my, to no end. Um, and brought to a detention facility where I was cuffed to a wall. Um, here's the crazy thing. Now, with all this news about Brad Parscal over the past 48 hours. While I was sitting as a guest of Nancy, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and what I thought was her area, um, the crazy thing is, uh, two rows behind me were Brad Parscale, Kim Gilfoyle, and Rona McDaniel. Um, And they were were (laughs) hooting and hollering all night Nobody was pulling them out. I said nine words, and this this happened. You know, listen, thankfully, um, Speaker Pelosi and Congressman Ted Deutsch intervened immediately following the speech, and I was soon released. And Speaker Hmm. Pelosi could not have been any more amazing to me in helping me to feel okay, but I was pretty devastated that night. It was a very hard night. The next day, though, America was talking about gun safety and they wouldn't have been otherwise. Um, And so I ended up feeling pretty inspired by the moment. Well, and that I'll say quickly, and we'll talk about what happened with Brad Parscal for people, but that's why I'll say quickly why I I, I give you the compliments that I do, not that just that you're a friend, um, but you have the courage to go in these situations that that I can't even imagine how, how painful they are. And in the end, you, when you have gone in these situations, You've made a difference. You've led to the to, to coverage that we need to have of this issue and of Republicans. And I'll just say quickly, if it weren't for the fact that the, the fix was in for Kavanaugh, that moment with him, if we had a Republican Congress like the one from the 80s, you know, that rejected Bork and rejected Sessions for a federal courtship and whatever, where you had legitimate, moderate, you know, independent Republicans that don't exist anymore, that might have been the difference. Correct. Just, the fix was in. So, it, I mean, he could have literally eaten children on TV and they would have voted for him. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Um, well, and that's why this vote is so important, because we need to break this version of this Republican Party. You know, and as I tell all my Republican friends in the next election cycle, if you want to go back to voting Republican, do it. But not this one. And now a quick word from our sponsor. John. Now that we've said goodbye to summer, it's time for things to get back in our everyday autumn groove. I've heard that. Yeah, groove, man, (laughs) groove. Kids are back to school. Everything is flavored with pumpkin spice, which you like. And before you know it, the leaves will start changing color. With so much changing around us, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time for you. 
the time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. Well, guess what, John? With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a quickly studied serum that gives your appearance the right kinds of changes. Visibly reduced wrinkles, fine lines, and even under-eye bags in minutes. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, number 11s, and crow's feet. It'll take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. The result will last for hours, so you can take family apple picking and look your best the whole time. Take the family apple picking. Pardon me. You better they used apple picking. Like apple picking is the example of when, my God, my eyes better look good for apple picking. I, well, that's exactly when you need to look your best when you're picking apples. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, if it works, hey. <laughs> Plexiderm does not involve any visits to a surgeon and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you and your friends. Mm. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com. Or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags, don't get number 11s, disappear with Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES at checkout. Cliff? There has never been a more important there has never been a more important time to have a supply of reliable respirator face masks. That's definitely true. Never actually that actually is true. Uh, from increasing, true. I mean we're making fun, play. but it's true. During the bubonic plague, it wouldn't be bad either, but but this seems pretty close. I've got a supply. I bought extras of of just to keep in my drawer in case the, yeah. the you know the sky Give falls. Um, so. From increasing group events to school reopenings to the approaching fall flu season, wearing a face mask is the first line of defense against getting sick. Actually, that reminds me. What about the asteroid passing near the moon? We'll stop the that. asteroid passing across the moon. Um, <laughs> and with continued wildfires and Google it. It's real. The asteroid. Uh, with the continued wildfires in the West, I, it's it's 2020, folks. We We're all going to die. Fun, kids. Hey, but at least if we all die, use Plexiderm and we'll die beautifully. You'll look good. Um, good diet. You'll look good for at least four hours. Your corpse will be fabulous. <laughs> Number 11 will be gone while the asteroid hits you. <laughs> exactly. Number, I forget. Is there a number for death? What's the number? I was going to say 69, but that's not the number for death. 66? Six? No, is it 60? That's the devil. Yeah, we're not we're not doing well with that. Anyway, um, for the wildfires in the West, which negatively impact air quality across the entire nation, there is even more need for protection when you go outside. The director of the CDC testified under oath before Congress that wearing a face mask was more important than getting a vaccine when it comes to reducing the spread of COVID in our country. Only respirator face masks provide medical grade protection. And only FDA-authorized respirator masks provide the quality required. The NewDealShop.com has FDA-authorized respirator masks ready to ship now. The NewDealShop.com has these medical-quality FDA-authorized masks, and every pouch comes with verifiable anti-fraud labeling. Trust the masks medical professionals are using. Go to the NewDealShop.com, j- just in case you didn't kind of get that. It's coming up two more times, just so you know. <laughs> you go, to the new, go to the NewDealShop.com and get FDA-authorized U.S.-tested respirator face masks now with free immediate shipping for our listeners. Bulk Where do we pricing. go again, John? You're about to find out. Bulk pricing is available so you can get the masks you need affordably and quickly. Go to the newdealshop.com now and get FDA authorized respirator face masks. Keep yourself and keep your family safer and healthier this fall. Just in case you didn't know, that's the newdealshop.com. Oh my. Okay, and now back to Fred Gutenberg. <laughs> oh, God. The most fun we've ever had doing ads. Fred, were you 
I, I would call you a political activist in, in, in a very good way, but because because the kind of things you have done just talked about today are things that I think a lot of people would be uncomfortable with. And what I say uncomfortable, I mean, I wish I would do it, but I might be afraid to do it. That's what I mean in a good way. Um, were you this sort of, I don't know, forward about politics before the Parkland shooting? Or did that really just change your mind entirely? And you said, forget it. I've, I've got to do something. Or were you always involved in politics before that? Just I, I was not. I mean, oh. other than being a part of a family that thinks they know everything about politics and, and we debate around the kitchen table, um, I was not involved. I voted. I watched the news a lot. Um, and listen, part of what drives me now is this um, horrible guilt over the fact that my voice wasn't part of this before it was my kid. Um, because if my voice is making a difference now, then maybe you could have made a difference before and I could have prevented this. Um, and so that feeling is something that I'll never get over. Um, and so as long as I believe that, and I do, you can't shut me up. I don't get my kid back, but I won't ever, ever shut up now and stop trying to do something about this when it's happening to other people's kids as well. It's no longer for me just about what happened to Jamie. It's about the 40,000 people a year who die of gun violence that we can be doing something about, and we didn't. Fred, can I ask you just to talk a little bit about Jamie? Just because I, I think, again, I know you've talked about this a lot, but for a lot of people, this still might be a, a new story. And I think, I mean, I, I, I just, I also care about the personal side of it. And we obviously we want to keep talking the politics, but I would just like to hear a little bit about your daughter, if you don't mind. No, listen, I'm, I'm a father of two kids, Jesse and Jamie. They were both in the school that day. And, and thank God Jesse is still alive and um, able to be with us. Um, Jamie is, is still with me, but um, I now visit her in a cemetery. Um, she was 14 when she was murdered. Um, and she was just a spectacular kid. Um, my daughter at the age of 14 knew right from wrong in ways that kids that age don't normally. Um, I used to always teach my kids a really simple rule in life. Always do what's right, not what's easy. And my daughter understood that concept. And so my daughter was always the one, if she saw people being bullied, that would literally be walking up and putting herself in the middle of it to make it stop. My daughter was the one who was volunteering her time for kids with special needs because she just felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, she was a beautiful young woman. She was a competitive dancer. Um, but maybe what people will remember most about Jamie is, is her voice. Um, she loved to laugh. Um, she loved to talk. And as long, whenever Jamie was in a room with somebody, you were always responding to Jamie. Um, that's just the way it was. You know, she was the energy in every moment that she was a part of in every room that she walked into. And, um, you know, our voice, our, our home is a lot quieter now without her. Um, I was a very lucky dad. Yeah. I would tell you, 
you know, sometimes I don't know how to describe this is sort of, you know, maybe the word is charisma that, you know, there are just some people where you can see in a picture in images and not video, just images, like their smile is infectious. It just, there's something about it that sends out energy that sends out, you know what I mean? I don't think we've all solved what, know what that is. Um, and you, and I, you know, the numerous ones I've seen from both you and, and Abby and everything since, like, I mean, I, I almost feel like you almost feel like, you know, her looking at a picture, um, what kind of person she was, you know, just from, I don't think I saw a picture without this huge smile on her face. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, well, she it's, had it. She had it in spades. I I had almost forgotten that the shooting was was only two years ago. I was just Googling and I saw 2018. And maybe because so much has happened with Trump since Trump years is the problem. I really, I honestly thought it was 2016. Um, But the new new cycle right now goes at such warp speed. Um, I think Trump years is a really good way to say it. And you know what? And we've had so much gun violence that I can't remember when was what anymore with Vegas and the the universities and, you know, even on the military bases that I can't keep track of it anymore. But it's it blows my mind that it was only two years ago because it really feels like I don't even know anyway. Um, But I think it's lost now because while we've had some of these debates and while some of this has been going on with Trump, you know, I pay attention to this stuff and you'll see that there was another mass shooting you know four yeah. people here or five six seven there i think there was one in atlanta just a week or two ago you know and and like you, you see this and maybe it trends on twitter for an hour which again tells you why um how broken we are and and and, and again this is eminently fixable you know if you know this is one topic where on the intellectual side i happen to know a lot about and again when you compare us to other similar high-income countries uh, and you just look at the ones that have put in the most basic forms of gun control or gun safety, whatever you'd like to call it, um, you know, from universal background checks, uh, you know, that uh, of those trying to buy guns, especially the countries that end psychological evaluations to red flag laws where a gun can be taken away from somebody who's thought to be a threat and has said things that would make people think they're a threat and they still have a right to go to court and argue for why they should get their guns back. So there's due process um, to a few of these other you know, assault weapons ban because military weapons on city streets are ludicrous in concept and the rest, you know, I mean, everything I've read, everything I've seen tells me that we could, you know, and, and people here know who listen to this, that I worked for every town for gun safety was my biggest client for, from 2009 to 2013. I've done work for the Brady campaign and, and other groups. I mean, everything tells me we could, we could lower our gun violence rate by somewhere between 60 and 70% if we were to do that. I'm not saying we could completely eliminate it. The only countries that do that are the ones that go a step further and, and say we're taking away most to all guns like Japan and the United Kingdom. But if we were to adopt a model more like a Scandinavian country or Canada, we could lower our gun death violent rates, violent rate most likely by 60 to 70 percent. If you think about that in life. Yeah, Fred, go ahead. I wanted to ask you something about along those lines, but jump in. Yeah. Yeah. L- listen, and, and I try to um, address this from as pragmatic a place as possible because America is going to deal with this in a way that has to reflect the reality of the politics here. Um, and and so my, my whole approach to this is um, looking at it from the standpoint of how do we start to bend the curve on where we are now with the reality of 400 million weapons on the street, 
with the reality of ammunition that can that is currently sold to anybody, even prohibited purchasers, because there's no requirement for a background check, with the reality that over 40,000 people per year are dying of gun violence, how do we we're, – we're never going to stop all of gun violence, but how do we start? How do we yep. start to bend the curve um, so that we see the incidents – going down we see the gun violence death rate going down it's a public health issue like covid it, you look it, at how you how you statistically improve you can't stop everyone but you can as you said bend the curve so and, and you're a hundred percent right and so so we need to do things like allow the cdc to study this and, and acknowledge from a standpoint of our federal government that this is a public health emergency that requires very specific actions. We ought to be doing background checks on every single gun purchase and ammunition purchase. We ought to be getting rid of these high-capacity magazines and of these weapons of war that, you know, listen, when we talked about how recently Parkland was, but yet it feels like so long ago. So two and a half years ago, the argument from the gun lobby to me always was about those weapons, they're there for hunting and they're for sport. Well, now we've seen how that's morphed to a place where that lobby is okay with those weapons being used in the middle of, um, uh, you know, Kenosha. Yeah, it's armed intimidation. So, you know, mom's demand goes to Virginia to peacefully show that they support doing something about gun violence. And you have these armed guys in fatigue showing up with AR-15s around their shoulder. So they're no longer even believing their own BS about hunting and sport. They're they're not believing their own bullshit. They're now all in on this whole, hey, listen, we got those weapons. We're going to take them on the streets with us. Okay. So, so So we need to deal with the reality of those weapons. And yeah, they need to be banned which would give people like me the ability to sue the gun industry for marketing practices that have gotten us to the place where we are today. Okay. We need to do um, to raise the age to 21. There's so much we can do to start dealing with the reality of gun violence that will still respect legal, lawful gun owners, second amendment rights. Okay. But we'll reduce the gun violence death rate. And one of the most important things that we can do, and every state that has done it has shown it's saving lives, is extreme risk protection orders or red flag laws, which, by the way, um, I would say are probably in the process of being used with Brad Parscale. I was just going to ask if that, yeah. Do they have a, guy, a red flag? That's right. Florida passed it after Florida Parkland. Um, Actually, can I can I interrupt real quick? Let's tell folks what happened, just in case people don't know, because <laughs> the okay. rest of us know what happened. Y- yesterday, uh, Brad Parscale, who's the former Trump campaign chair uh, head, was currently and- the deputy campaign manager. I'm not sure if he is Correct. anymore. Exactly, yes. still still senior guy no in the way. campaign. Uh, was fired about a month ago. Um, yesterday was arrested by the police and put into psychiatric custody evaluation involuntarily because he allegedly. Uh, threatened his wife, threatened to kill himself. They were having a fight, armed a gun. He may have even hurt her. She had bruises on her that she claimed. He he was physical with her. Yes. So they, they arrested him, but put him into psychiatric evaluation involuntarily for three days. And 
and it was under, I believe, the Baker Act, it was called. And Fred, maybe you can oh, tell right. us about that. That's what it's called in Florida. So, so tell us more about that. So Brad Parscal, and it looks like there could have been an issue with substances. I mean, whether he was drunk or something else, I wasn't there. Um, he clearly, there was evidence that he beat his wife um, and she was bruised. There was an altercation that involved threats with a gun. I don't know if it was just all the threat was directed at himself or her as well. She felt enough fear that she ran out of the house and was able to get the help of someone outside the house. And the police were called. Um, Long story short, he clearly is a guy with violence issues, substance issues, and he was in possession of at least 10 weapons um, and threatening to use. I, he is an example of someone where under the red flag law, those weapons need to be removed. Um, but I would even make an argument that based upon the circumstances that we know, okay, I don't know everything, but based upon what we know and the violence and the substance, that he's someone who shouldn't get his weapons back. Yep. I mean, due process is deserved, but I will tell you, and and I know Shannon Watts, who we're friends with, and we've had on this show in the past, in fact, with uh, with mom who started Moms Demand Action, others yep. have shown this. There is no, I, I don't think you can find a more direct correlation than that of of a man who commits domestic violence, and uh, you know, to who eventually ends up committing some sort of a shooting. In other words, almost it seems like every one of these mass shooters, almost every time you look. And you find some sort of an incident like this before something like, you know, that happened. Let me ask both of you, what would he have to do under Florida law or or generally in the States to lose his guns? Other than obviously go to jail. I mean, you can't have guns in jail, but, but is it easier to like lose your kids than lose your guns? Cause it sounds like if he had kids, they might be like, I don't know if we want kids in the house, but the gun, eh, what the hell? So listen, there are circumstances in Florida where people can't pass a background check to buy new weapons. Um, there, the red flag law gives a legal process to remove weapons and for someone to have a due process um, ability to ultimately get those weapons back. Um, and are you, are you guys still there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Oh, I yep. thought I, I thought I've set my screen went blank. Oh yeah. No, sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Listening intently. You're sc- you so, probably went to- <laughs> so, And again, this is this very state by state. So in Florida, um, the, the circumstances of what took place on that day are very relevant to whether or not he would get his weapons back. I think they would also, and again, we don't know history here. I mean, for all I know, there may or may not be other instances. Um, so right. I, I, I hope, listen, I hope this. Most immediately, I hope he gets the help he needs. That's number one. Um, to not have issues with violence and substances. And number two, I hope law enforcement does take into consideration what took place and the fact that he did physically harm his wife and um, that he does not get those weapons back. Um, that is a possibility. And a judge is going to have to hear all the facts. I I don't know all the facts. Based upon what I do know, he should not get his weapons back. Well, I mean, if you're if you get convicted, I'll just say quickly of of 
domestic violence. That is one of the parts under our background check laws where you should Correct. not be able to get another weapon ever again. Do However, the weapon you've got. Yes, he would. I mean, because he'd be convicted of something. But in the end, he'd lose for that reason, too. But in the end, the issue here, of course, is do you plead it down to some lower level misdemeanor? You know, does it I mean, it's, right. it, you know, some states are tougher than others. And then, of course, there's the problem of people buying guns without background checks. So, you know, there, there's issues, but he should. Um, um, but I want to you know what? Why don't we switch a little bit, Fred? Why don't we talk a little bit about about your book? Yeah. Um, and I want to make sure everybody knows about it. So let's talk about Find the Helpers. And why don't you tell folks, our listeners, what your sort of inspiration is or was for writing the book and yeah. what you talk about in it. You know, after, um, I think most people have heard of my story and know that in addition to um, Jamie's murder, four months before that, my brother died of cancer related to his service in 9-11. So my family went through this period of just horrible loss. And as a family, I mean, one of five kids, my parents are still alive. It's just not something we had ever dealt with before. And then all of a sudden we got both. Yeah. So after a couple of months, um, actually very quickly after Jamie was killed, writing became my therapy. And it started with me just really becoming relentless on Twitter. Um, which we appreciate, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but I was writing journaling a lot too. And after a few months, I think it was probably around the April, May timeframe, I decided I wanted to write a book that I just wanted to tell my story. And so I started that. Um, I, I did it without a publisher uh, because I wanted it to be my story, my voice. I didn't want, you know, when you have these publishing deals, they have impact on how you say things and what you say and what the story ultimately looks like. And that's not what I wanted. So I wrote my book. Um, and what ended up becoming clear when I wrote my story, actually, not before, you know, we did the finished book, was everywhere you looked, were I was telling stories of people, the amazing people who were part of my life or who became a part of my life who stepped into my life unexpectedly or who did unexpected things, but who carried me, who carried my family, who made sure we were able to move forward from day to day. And that ultimately um, led me to sitting down and somewhat rewriting the book to tell more of the stories about those people. Right. Uh, and, you know, my family is a family of first responders. You know, my sister, who um, Cliff knows, is, is a physician. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a pharmacist. My brother spent his life as an EMT in the early years and then went to college and medical school and became an emergency room physician, was the deputy medical director of the New York Fire Department at the time of 9-11 and ended up running the triage, um, only to pay with his life down the road. Uh, my younger brother, at the age of 49, after my brother's passing, went and became an EMT just to carry on the family legacy. My son is planning to become an EMT firefighter. Uh, it is So the find the helpers, the quote says, 
um, and I'll sum it up here. Um, from Mr. Rogers, my mom used to always tell me, whenever there are terrible things happening in the world around us, always look for the helpers, the policemen, the firemen, the doctors. Um, and to that, I would add the neighbors, the politicians, or anyone who can be a helper. But he said, as long as there are helpers, there is hope. And my book ultimately is one of helpers who just were nonstop, who gave me hope, who I hope when you read this, they give you hope. And I hope anyone who reads the book gets inspired to know there's nothing we can't get through as long as we don't try to do it alone. That's, that's, uh, I mean, that's incredible. As I said, it's inspirational. I was thinking about, you know, you brought up your family, Fred, and, and, you know, how they're, you guys almost, you you know, your brother is sort of a metaphor is the one who rushed into the building. Right. Um, yeah. you know, just as an example, um, you know, there's, there's, um, a, uh, Facebook group that I belong to, you know, which is Midwesterners against COVID. And it was started almost immediately after the outbreak. Um, you know, and, and we were trying to figure out what to do and who of course started it, but Abby, Yeah, and, I, I, I you. you know, and it now has, I don't know how many members, hundreds, thousands, but like, here's this page that is organizing people so we can organize information and know what's safe, what's not safe, all the latest updates on things, who's out there sharing, you know, bullshit conspiracies that we need to be wary of and that kind of thing. And, and of course it's like, it almost didn't surprise me. It was Abby. You know, you guys are the ones who run into these situations and put yourselves out there, which is sort of incredible. Well, and, and listen, but what blows me away is is the stories of the people who do this every day and we don't know as much about. And one of the stories I tell in the book, actually on 9-11, um, was this lady, uh, when my brother did finally get out of the building, and was finally with his team setting up the triage, there was a lady who went up to these first responders and just said to them, I'm sure you have loved ones. Give me a name and a phone number, and I'll reach out. Hmm. That afternoon, this lady called my parents and just said, I've spoken to your loved one. He is alive. Um, and that was the first word we had of from anyone about Michael. It came at a moment for our family when we had already assumed the worst because we hadn't heard from Michael, and this is now late afternoon. Um, this lady was a helper in the greatest way. She did this for I don't know how many families that day. She wouldn't tell anyone who she was. She just did it. Um, and she is an example to me of an unexpected helper who came into my life, who I've thought about every day of my life since then who's a hero and people like her exist all over. We just have to be open to actually letting them into our lives and, and understanding they exist though. You know, everyone around us isn't evil. The world isn't the way the current occupant of the white house wants us to see it where, you know, everybody's a liar or everybody's out to cheat you or get you. That may be who he is, but the truth is, as I've traveled this country, I have met amazing people everywhere I've went. And and they do inspire me and give me hope. They are out there. And I do believe while we have a bit of a fever in this country, I think the helpers are going to come out and we're going to we're going to break that fever and fix this. Yeah, um, 
And, and again, like I, I can't stress how much I think this is an important message because there is so much negativity and we all get sucked into it. Right. I've seen you on Twitter, Fred, um, and this is not to criticize you because I'm probably <laughs> a thousand times worse than you, where Marco Rubio just says something unbelievably obnoxious or Ted Cruz or Mitch McConnell. And we just can't help but go after them because there's such obviously cynical, hypocritical, right. dishonest people. And it just angers you to your very core that people could be so callous, you know, could could give so little bit of a shit about their constituents and this country and everything, you know, to get their way. And that's why I think this book and what you're saying here, and frankly, I'm, I'm you know, pleasantly surprised. You know, I, I do work here with the Innocence Project in Ohio, and I'm always surprised when we're, we've been able to get guys who spent years in prison due to, to malfeasance in prosecutor's office, how forgiving they are. And how positive they are. And it's it, that's always been an inspiration. You remind me of that. And that, you know, here you've gone through these tragedies and you're finding a way to tell people to look for the, the positives because there are good people out there. There are selfless people out there that do things for people they don't have to do every day. Um, and by the way, yeah. but you're right. There are also the Ted Cruz's and the Marco Rubio's. And you know what? We need to call them out. Okay. Because we want our country to be of a higher standard, and we want good people to be able to live in a place where good is what we expect, we need to call out evil. And we need to call out people like Ted and Marco. And we need to call those out who are willing to sell their soul because they either have something that they're afraid of or they're evil. And, and I'm not, you know, and and so I have no problem calling people like that out. Um, but every day, I every chance that I get, I will always highlight good. Um, and people go, don't but, call them out, by the way. It's real quick, but this is part of the problem. I mean, I, you know, I ran into what's his face, Pompeo at the movie theater right before COVID <laughs> hit, and I was so angry. I mean, literally, he walked right. We were crisscrossing paths right in the middle of the theater, the cinema, and I wanted to just say something to him, and I couldn't come up with it, but also. Even I admit, and I can be very outspoken, a part of me grabbed and went, oh, you know, would that be impolite? Like we, it's ingrained in us to be the good guys, I think sometimes. And these guys, therefore, are not accustomed to somebody like you or anybody else going up and go, saying bullshit to their face. It drives them crazy. Yeah, I was, you know, I told the story actually just at our last podcast, how the, the sports club we belong to here, my wife ran into to Rob Portman. Oh, that's and right. when he tried, he tried to say his BS hello to our little two little kids is a couple of years ago. Um, my wife didn't answer and turned to them and said, that's Rob Portman, uh, boys, don't talk to him. He's a bad man. <laughs> and he was shocked. Because yeah. people, these guys need to know yeah. the repercussions of their actions. They need to be made to feel uncomfortable in places where they're used to feeling like society. Yes. You know, and I, and I, I'm so happy that you're there to do that, Fred. I, I wouldn't want to finish that without, um, before we let you go asking one last question, because I do feel like I remember seeing during the primaries, the Democrat primaries, you came out yeah. so early for Joe Biden. And you told, I think, as I, if I remember correctly, a pretty touching story of why. And this was, you know, after those first few primaries or earlier than that, when it didn't look like Biden was going to win. You weren't just coming out for a winner. You were coming out for a guy that meant something to you and had been a special force in your life. And as he's our nominee and we're trying to talk about good people here, I would love for you to tell that story before we let you go. Listen, he is the best of the best. And, and I can say that because of experience when he wasn't running for the presidency. 
um, about 10 days after Jamie was killed, um, he called me and I didn't recognize the number. So I didn't answer. Um, but he left a message that said, I'm going to call you back at this time. So make sure you pick up. And he did. Um, he was on the train from Virginia to New York for a Bo Biden, um, function. And we spent like 45 minutes on the phone. It was like talking to uncle Joe. It wasn't like, it wasn't like you, I was talking to a former vice president or maybe someone who was thinking of running for the presidency, but he had not even, it was long before he announced. Right. It was like talking to uncle Joe and he, he just wanted to know about me, about my wife and my son. He really wanted to know a lot about Jamie and he wanted to know, um, you know, had I thought about what the future was going to look like now and to talk to me about it. Um, to, he had already seen me a little bit on media and I, and I told him that I was going to break that fucking gun lobby. I remember saying it and, you know, and, and he is, um, and, and so we shared some colorful language after that. Um, but he just started talking to me about how he got through moments with mission and purpose. And that he said, maybe that's going to be your purpose and that'll be your mission. Um, he invited me to an event in Florida a few weeks after that, that he was going to be at. And he told me to bring another Parkland parent. And I did. And he had hundreds of people waiting to hear him speak when he got done shaking hands and he brought me and the other parent to a room in the back. I figured it would just be for a quick minute, just so he could acknowledge our presence. No, he asked us to sit down. 20 minutes later, I said to him, you have a room full of hundreds of people waiting to hear you speak. Don't you need to go? And he just said, this is more important. Um, And he spent another 20, 25 minutes and he talked to us about grief and he talked to us how, about how people go through grief differently and to be prepared for it Um, because he wanted to make sure our families would be okay going through this. Um, We've spoken many times since then, um, you know, whether it be on the phone, um, he is as genuine, as decent, as human a person can be. What blew me away though, is as I started sharing this story around the country how many other people come up to me and say, he did that with me too. You know, that's who he is. It is who he is. It's, it is a person who cares about every single citizen of the United States of America, not just his base, but everybody. He cares about our well-being, the well-being of those we love. He wants to do what's in America's best interests and he needs to be our next president. Well, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, <laughs> uh, and we need to get him a, a Democratic Senate, too. 100%. Um, um, no, the Senate needs to flip. The Senate is going to flip. And it's going to flip with some unexpected victories. For example, I'll go on record right now and I'll say uh, Lindsey Graham is going bye-bye. How did I know you are going to say that one? I mean, wouldn't I think, that be amazing? Uh, I, oh. uh, I mean – I, I hope that the same happens with Mitch McConnell. I mean, if it were up to me and I could pick the three I most would want to lose that night, those two in Cornyn in Texas, as more money goes to Texas, and Texas is shown to be an equal 
race. A poll just came out yesterday yep. showing at 40-48. I think MJ Hagar may have a chance there too. And I'm hoping Kentucky's not easy. It's certainly not demographically a friendly state, but Kentucky's gonna be tougher. But, is, but Mitch but, is gonna but even if Mitch stays around, he'll go to the minority and, yep. and hopefully Amy can pull it out. Um but but the Senate is gonna flip. And it's going to be a bigger flip than people might have expected two or three months ago. I think so, too. Um, and, I, and I think the same with the presidential race. We're going to be surprised in some of the places Biden's going to win. But we have to be out there working hard, knocking on doors, giving donations where we can, doing everything, calling friends, convincing people we know. I just like to always remind everybody of that. Nothing's guaranteed. And so we got to get well, there. I mean, make sure everybody you talk to that – they're not waiting until the last minute to figure out their vote. The time to have to, to time to know you're going who you're going to vote for and what your voting plan is is now, and the time to put into place your voting plan is now. For example, I had already ordered my ballots via mail. I'm not playing any games waiting till November third. Right. I've already received those ballots. I'm not sending them back in the mail in Florida. I could go deliver them right to the supervisor of elections office. And that is what I intend to do. Um, We have those options in Florida. I don't know what Ohio has as options, but every voter needs to know what the options are in their state and be on it now. Don't wait. No, I know. I mean, I know a week into Ohio, I'm I'm looking, it's either October 5th or 6th. I've got it written down as the first day you can vote early here. And uh, my wife and I will be going, you know, we'll make sure it's during the week so it's not as hectic and because we've got that flexibility and we will be going and casting our vote almost as early as humanly possible here. Perfect. To make sure it's counted. So um, thank you so much, Fred, for coming on and sharing your story and sharing everything you've been up to and how you've helped You've helped be. You've been a helper. Let's be honest in making uh, our country a better place, um, moving us forward. The the, the last anecdote I'll, I'll throw out is after, right after Parkland happened, and and uh, you know, and we were all so sad. And I was talking to your sister Abby. Um, she's she said, you know, I said to her, I was asking her what she thought you were going to do, and she's like, her answer was very simple. I'll never forget. It. She'll say, "They've never met anybody like my brother before. He's a force of nature." Um, and they're going to be sorry <laughs> that they, you know, if they don't uh, agree to what he has to say. And, and you know, you've proven that. So um, let's make sure everybody knows the book is Find the Helpers, What 9-11 and Parkland, um, I'm losing the last part of it here, What 9-11 and Parkland Taught Me About Recovery, All right? And recovery purpose. Okay, I apologize for that. My That's okay. Find the helpers. What 9/11 in Parkland taught me about recovery, purpose, and hope. There he also go. has a great organization, Orange Ribbons for Jamie, which is a nonprofit that you can you can support. Go look it up and give to and, and support educating and uh, folks to prevent um, uh, gun violence and lead to gun safety. Um, and just check in and see what Fred's doing in general because he's a he's a great force out there for good. So thank you so much for, for thank for you guys. Right, thanks, Fred. Take care. You take care too, buddy. Bye now. Bye. There we go. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Oh. I was reading it. I'm like, it's going off the side there's of my more, screen. There's more words. Title. There's more words. <laughs> Damn it! I'm going to screw it up. Uh, and as I said, oh, there, I set off before we get to other issues by saying, yeah. I don't just say that stuff. He's a truly terrific guy um, who I met when he came here to Cincinnati probably a month after his daughter, maybe two, was murdered to, to 
you know, meet with family and everything. And he's so genuine. He's such a great guy. And he, he, he's no bullshit either. You know, he's willing to put himself in those situations, as you said, where other, you know, a lot of us might be intimidated. So I'm, I'm just, I'm glad he's out there on our side and uh, I'm glad that he joined us. Yep. So what else we got going on, John? I mean, not too oh, much. Right? Yeah, really. I, you know, that's what I mean. Like the Parkland thing. I can't believe it was only two years ago. We're all so old because of this asshole. Oh God. Um, I could have things. Um, did we talked about that on here yet? Well, no, because all this shit happened in the last four. Days. We haven't been right. on since Friday or Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> we've got the taxes. Back. We've got tonight's debate. Right. Me Let's start tax. with the debate. Let's start with the debate. All right, you, you and me. I mean, and then taxes will also come into that. But you know, I did you not agree that I kind of felt like Hillary won the debates last time? And of course, I don't want to say it didn't matter because that's a bit of a logical fallacy. People right. think. Oh, because Hillary won the debates and she lost the election, well, lost, quote unquote, the election. It doesn't matter who wins the debates. Well, maybe by winning the debates, she, she still got well, more votes than she vote would have gotten. Million and, you know, and, and brought herself within whatever it was, 9,000. But it may have brought her closer winning the right. debate. That's my point. You could, so, so even if you say debates don't matter, maybe by doing well tonight, Biden still ups his percentage of the vote, which will help. Right. I always, you know, people probably heard me before. I always use that example, you know, that, that sports example of I'm a New York Giants fan and that, that Super Bowl in the early nineties, where in the end, the the Buffalo Bills outplayed them probably to a certain degree, but it was only up by a little bit or only were down by a little bit in the end. And the guy missed a field goal. He should have made poor guy, their kicker. And that changes the entire narrative because we have this narrative where the winners did everything right and the losers did everything wrong. You know what I mean? And so it, it, there's no room for gray, and it's so frustrating. So suddenly, if Hillary lost, the debates must not matter. This must not matter. That must not matter. And, and as you said, that's a logical fallacy. I mean the debates may have helped her to a point of where she won the popular vote by as much as she won by. They may have helped her uh, in a few states that she barely won pull it out. They may have gotten her closer. I mean – we don't know. What we do know is in the past, debates have been important moments. It's more diffuse now as our media is more diffuse. So you don't just have like three channels like you did in the 60s or the 80s come out and say who won. And, and you know, but yeah, it, 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 it's it, it, I would compare it to like the conventions. Right. There's so many different forms of media now that you don't have quite the effect that you used to have, probably. But it, it probably it has an effect. And, and it's more important for the person who's ahead, which quite clearly in every poll. Even, you know, like the Republican leaning places, it's hilarious. Like, you know, Trafalgar and Rasmussen can't even find a poll where Trump is ahead. Even there, like they came out the other day, somebody, some Republican on Twitter was like, see, Biden's only up by three points in Trafalgar in Wisconsin. And I was like, listen, dude, if he's up by three points in Wisconsin in a Trafalgar poll where they probably literally were like, do you make under $50,000 a year and lack a college degree? And are you white and hate black people? All right. You're part of our sample. Um, you know, I mean, that tells you what you need to know. So he's ahead. He needs to not, you know, and I'm sure they're preparing him that way uh, in that you need to go up there and you need to the thing that you want to be is show people that what is everybody is scared of and upset with about Trump, that you are just the opposite, which in reality he is. You are empathetic where he is an evil fuck. You are competent where he is completely incompetent. And I would say as important as all that, you are in control of your emotions. You are steady right. where he is unsteady. And that's all Biden needs to do right. because on every ma- a measure that they're pulling them on, he's winning at this point. The only one that is about a toss-up, and I know as ridiculous as this is, hmm. but is the economy because there are still yeah. people that 
the stock markets, the economy, and who haven't been hit by the job losses, even though right now we have the worst job losses still since the Great Depression. But they, there are they, enough- may also be, they may also be disconnecting COVID and the economy. They may think, well, it was doing well until COVID hit, and they're not well, saying, oh, yeah, and he screwed up COVID. Right. If he doesn't do that. So you're exactly right, John. So, I mean, but ah, even, even on the economy, right. some states. Sorry, go on. What did you say? You, you no, I'm exactly up. right. Yes. Break your arm there, John. Pat in the back. Then. But, but um, you know, even in a few states, it depends which state polls you look at. There's a few states that might have him up a few points on the economy. Others where he's tied. Other where he's down a few points. But it's a wash. It's not going to – whereas everything else – so you just don't want to 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 make some yeah. sort of massive mess up because you know Fox and Rush and all of them, the whole right-wing right echo chamber is sitting there waiting. So, it you know, weird, but it is a weird thing to debate, Cliff, because it reminds me of going on Fox News where we watched it with Hillary. Everything she said when she had good – every time – and actually this is Republican debating tactic. Every time you start to bring up a really good valid fact – they cut you off and they talk over you. I used to have this all the time with the Republicans on CNN or when I used to go on Fox. They just would – women especially, the, the women, one woman in particular, she'd grab my arm and go, John, 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 as I was speaking. And, and until I realized what she was doing, I'd fall for it because a woman grabs your arm. You turn and look at her and you stop. And I finally realized what she was doing. The next time I was on with her, I just kept going. <laughs> and she's like pulling on my arm and I'm just talking and talking and talking. My arm's but not it, moving. I'm not. But, it's, but, but, but in all seriousness, you look at what he did with Hillary. And remember, every time she tried to get in a good point, he goes, liar, fake news, fake news, liar, liar, liar. And it, 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 it makes crosstalk, as we call it. So just that. It just, it just makes too much crosstalk. And the point is lost. If he just – all he has to do is interrupt and be an asshole every time Biden says something good. Right. But, but by interrupting and being an asshole, he's now reinforcing – the image Hopefully. that is hurting him because interrupting and interrupting being, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> well, interrupting and being an asshole wasn't as big of a deal when people weren't dying every day of COVID. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't as big a deal. You know, the, it may be that on the overall home numbers, people are, are, uh, you know, saying that the economy looks relatively even, but up in that area of Ohio where he's going to be Northeast Ohio, where that debate's going to be tonight, there are people that were promised the Lordstown plant wasn't leaving. And guess what happened? You know, yeah. Yeah. So, so when he's an asshole, it reminds that 8% of people in polls now. Yeah. The, the one that came out, I think it was yesterday or today, mm-hmm. that, that was a pretty – I think it was a large sample too. And again, it's one poll. But it seems to fit up with everything else, which was they had 1%, and I'd love to meet who they are, of right. Hillary voters were switching to Trump over Biden. But 8% of Trump voters were switching from Trump uh, to, to, to Biden who had voted for Trump over Hillary. Right. That says it all. And a lot of those people were talking about. So I don't think the the funny showman dick thing, you know, you're fired an apprentice plays a lot better in peace and prosperity than it does when we're in the situation where we're, we're in right now. When even the thing that you and I were worried about, which was how some of the Black Lives Matter stuff would play in the suburbs, it turns out it's backfiring on them to the point of where we're winning that argument, too. Um and so, I mean, you know, people are seeing this kind of stuff, brutality, police brutality and fighting in the streets. And they're seeing the stuff with Russia and, and, and Trump that feels uncomfortable. And they're seeing, you know, the jobs and they're seeing uh, COVID most of all. And they're worried their health care is going to be taken away from them. And this guy's got nothing to offer. And being a dick isn't so funny then. So that's what I would say to you. That's exactly what you want. Let him be a dick and interrupt. Yeah. Uh, if you're Biden, you really don't need to land that many facts. I would be worried much more about True. presentation, strength, yes. coherence, yes. 
you know, all of that is what's important is that you make, because you know, they're going to try to turn it into your mental patient. I hate to use right. that term. Right. What right. I say. If you, if you just make a, oh, a common error. Gonna, if you know what they're going to do, they are going to sit there and basically doctor the video to make Biden. And you can't, it's very easy. Actually, we do it with Trump too. All you have to do is take, I did it with Trump's, uh, with Trump's weird breathing in thing. Now this right. was legit, but boy, it made the point, you know, cause Trump's always doing his, and yes. people keep going like, what are you snorting? I took one of his speeches that was really bad with that. And I cut out for half an hour of the speech. I cut out every spoken word. Listen to John Johnson hard at this stuff. No, it was fun. It was like three minutes of Trump going, and it was, you listened to it and went, oh my God. That's the kind of thing they can do to Biden. But even worse, if you cut out all the words and just show facial expressions, for example, it looks like he's contorting his face for three minutes, right? I mean, it's, it's stuff that's real, but it's fake at the same time. What I'm saying is they're going to do that anyhow. They're going to do and it anyway. Fox yeah. and other places, thankfully, only two to two and a half to three million people watch Fox News, which, you know, again, people have to remember the country, the size we are. And is this going to be on Fox, I guess? I think. I guess because he's the moderator. I, I'm thinking, yeah. Fox Network, and then they'll do coverage on Fox okay. News. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is, is that everybody still needs to remember the fact that that they can do that with their core supporters. But again, they're losing all sorts of people in the middle. And again, I've said again and again to yeah. me, the stat that is more important than any of the others is what killed us in 2016. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, some of that was sexism. A lot of it was peace and prosperity. So people thought. You know, I'll take a fucking chance. Not people like us, but some people uh, on on Trump and whatever. Um, you know, is that that the, the double haters, the ones that hate both of them? Because Republicans are really effective at getting you to hate Democrats. Right. Uh, you know, with introducing all sorts of bullshit and negatives and whatever. Well, they went in the end. They they favored Trump by a large margin, and they could have been the difference in that thing. Whereas here. Like I've never seen. I think it, it was ridiculous. I think seventy percent of them went for Trump last time, and at this point, ninety percent of them are saying the ones that hate both that they're strongly leaning towards Biden. I mean, so so really, again, he, you know, you need to accomplish a couple things, and I would say strength, you know, uh, coherent cohesiveness in, in the arguments you make. You don't need that many stats. Two hundred thousand have died because of Trump. The economy is lost, you know, whatever, name the number of job losses, a couple of things like that. But otherwise, you don't really need to make very many good points about the about what you're going to do in terms of stats. You just need to make general points about what, you know, very general points about what you're going to do. We're going to protect the ACN and add a public option. We're going to bring jobs back. We're going to because all you need to do at this point, because Trump is so disliked, is contrast yourself to him. So you really don't need to get as much done and make these these promises where he'll cut you off because you say, well, well, he's done this on climate change. We're going to be able to do X, Y. You don't need to say all of that. You really just need to say, I believe in climate change. I believe scientists. We are going to we're going to fight it. We're actually going to create jobs specifically to fight it. And right. he's ignoring it. And, it's, you know, that's it. Right. You know, and so no, I think it's. Things it's yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it, that's all he has to do. Yeah. He just has to contrast himself with him as being. Look, we said from the beginning, this was something that that I, th I wish a lot of the people had brought up. And I think Pete might have as far as amongst the candidates, but saying, saying, you know, can't we just get back to normal? <laughs> you know? And I think I wrote, that, I wrote, I wrote that piece I wrote for the New York daily news, right. It was just normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that's one of the things that's going to be really important for Biden to, for Biden to get across tonight is that sense, because look, I think Biden, Biden strikes me as somebody who he's not, 
he's not very good at railing off lots of details. Although, although he knows he's a good. lot of issues. Yes. So he is but good that's at the reason that. why he doesn't get rail off details because he can speak about things intelligently yes. without having to do numbers. Yes. He knows where our troops are. He knows where our bases are. He knows, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he can do that stuff. You know what I realized, by the way, too? I'm sorry, I had a little epiphany this morning. Biden's stutter because you don't hear it. I keep thinking he mastered it. And I'm starting to wonder whether the way Biden has his weird. Oh, I'm okay. sure that. No, okay, but wait, that. I'm going to show you, Cliff. I'm, what I'm doing right now is showing you Biden. So the way Biden's got his weird. Oh, 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 never mind. He he stops himself or like when the time runs out. But you literally see it's like a glottal stop. We call it in phonetics where you're like it's like oh, his his almost like his throat stops. He stops talking and then he lets it go. And it makes me wonder whether when Biden does that, and he does it a lot. That isn't the stutter kicking in. I think it you is. And I'll say this. I didn't yeah. know until this run by him. I didn't even know about the stutter. I didn't either. I, I didn't either. So, yeah. so I thought and I think he didn't he probably should have done more to tell people about that because then all this stuff gets covered as it's all gaffes when some of the time it really yeah. is just that, you know, and so I started paying more attention yeah. after that. And if you do, and you look at his, his mouth when he's talking, you look at him sometimes when something will happen or he'll, he'll garble a few words or whatever. I'm almost positive that that's the stutter. That's, I think that's thing is. It, it, yeah. everything when he says stuff, you know, uh, off color stuff and whatever. But I think uh, some of those ones yeah. where he trips the words are absolutely yeah. the stutter. And then he changes topics because he learned – I had a stutter when I was younger as a kid. Thank God I don't have it anymore. But I remember it would be words. There would be a word. I mean, in my case, it wasn't going eh, – eh, eh. the, the word would get stuck in my throat, and I would just pause for a second, and I couldn't say the word, and I'd feel myself trying to get it out. And then I would look for another word to say. And I wonder sometimes whether what Biden isn't doing isn't not just finding another word but saying, okay, shift topics. Then I can then I can talk. In any case, it's just a theory, but I I do wonder. The other thing is, by the way, they have um <clears throat> not as if they hadn't done it already, but they have Trump's team has gone whole hog on the Biden dementia thing. Rudy Giuliani went off about it on Fox in the last twenty four hours. Eric Trump, his son, the one who apparently is either gay or LGBT trans, I guess. Sorry. Member of the LGBTQ yes, community. Yes, the one who, who came out on Fox yesterday and said he was a member of the LGBT community, and we all went, huh? I mean, I, Eric didn't feel comfortable coming out of the closet sooner. Uh, we're I, supportive. I, you know, I just throw him back. Um, no, I don't know what that, I mean, he's not. That, I don't know what the hell he was doing. That Talk about, talk about dementia. I don't know what the hell your words and saying things you don't mean you to know. say. But, um, right. but exactly, but they have been going even more because I mean I follow this stuff every day more so than before. Trump, his son Giuliani, who's his lawyer, they are all going whole hog, openly accusing Biden of dementia. It is, it is, it's the thing that worries me is this is the shit they do that we would never do. First of all, right? Like you and I, you know, it's sort of like activists on the outside or whatever. I might suggest some stuff about Trump's walking. Biden isn't going to go. I think he's got MS, right? Biden's not going to say it. Trump would say it. And what worries me is, first of all, that stuff does stick because Republicans know how to do it. You get everybody, all the top people, members of Congress, everybody talking about it. Fox News talks about it. And then it becomes nonstop. I guarantee you there are times in the right sort of places. I think there are some people in the middle who really are in the middle who would listen to it and go, I don't know. I heard, I heard Biden was kind of sick. I could imagine somebody who's truly in the middle. Cause by the way, if you're truly in the middle, I also wonder how much you listen to stuff, 
right? So I think and that is the kind of person who done it, and they've probably already convinced some people in the middle with. I think I think they have, but that that worries me because they're just evil, and they're much better at being evil with their lies than we are. Yeah. They had two things over us, which we've discussed in various forms a lot. Hmm. One is their shamelessness, uh, and two is yep. is their their media distribution systems that we lack um, yep. on the same level. But I would, I mean, again, of course, that's a danger. I would say also, though, again, as somebody who you know who's worked in politics for a long time, the the you know they just they can't seem to get a strategy straight. And again, that comes from the top because he can't do anything consistently. Hmm. Like they got themselves finally yesterday to start saying, oh, well, Trump, well, Biden can be a pretty good debater. And now they're back to he's got dementia. So all they're doing is lowering the expectations. So now all Biden has to do is, frankly, give a decent performance. Yes. And it makes them it makes him look like, a, you know, a Roman general. Yep. I mean, well, and, and Trump, I and again, Trump does the strategy right? in the world. Yeah. No, no. And Trump does have that problem where he either and we've been seeing it lately. He's either comatose and honest to God, he looks like he's taken something, right? He kind They're of gets up like there and gives a speech like this, right? He's on something and, 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 and whether, no, whether it was on purpose, they put him on something to try to calm him down and make him sound presidential or whether he is on some drug that makes him kind of talk like this sometimes. Right. Um, or he's like Don Jr. He's like, hey, yeah, <laughs> I've had that coming on me. <laughs> You know, so I, I don't it, anyway, that's going to be a risk for him. It'll be interesting to see um, what uh, maybe we could talk about the taxes, too. Right. So the New York well, Times say about taxes, yeah. that relates to this, because the, the thing I would do if I were Biden is walk in. <clears throat> if you get a chance off camera or off microphone to say right. to Trump, be like, wow, what's it like being a thousand air? And he'll that's, lose his that's, shit. That's, you, do. you piss the shit out of him well, going in. You're 200 million in debt. Yeah. You suck at business. And yeah. then just that's it. That's all you got to say. He'll yeah. stew over it and that'll all be all he can think about because that's him. Yeah. And then he'll blow up on stage. That's yeah. that's the, you know. Um, so, yep. yeah, that is the yep. second of the tactics. Yep. Why don't you go ahead? I'm talking. Well, no, I mean, uh, folks are probably aware of it. New York Times did a big expose. They got their hands on Trump's taxes for the last at least 15 years. Everything up until um, 18 and 19. So they got Correct. their hands on everything in 2017, starting. Which is very interesting, years. by the way. Because so yeah, so fifteen years preceding the fifteen years preceding and including two thousand and seventeen, what's interesting about that is that made me think that the source was somebody who basically turned on Trump as of two thousand eighteen right in other words they, is you know we know that Mary Trump had we had her on our show had had given those original few documents, not nearly what these are, but some to New York Times and she had access because of the lawsuit that she had been against against the family over the inheritance yep. so there were a couple of years previous to that, I think they were right around that, but this is somebody I this would seems, argue who yeah. had direct access to his taxes like an accountant or somebody. Accountant. Lawyer, it is example, somebody we're saying Michael Cohen. Somebody, oh, by the way, so I just along those lines, Michael. Well, you know what? Like, you know who somebody mentioned? Cliff, Cliff was that guy. What's his name? Trump's like actuarial accountant, whatever guy for 30 years at Trump Tower, the old Jewish named guy. Turned it's evidence, right? So to speak. Right. Yeah. That, remember that guy? People, somebody raised his name and I went, oh God, that's right. It's somebody like that. It's somebody yeah. who had access to all that stuff up until. Yeah, they stopped working with him after 2017, and yeah. you know, which, which means they got in trouble. Trump turned on them something, 
Um, But in any case, so what they found was that in 2016 and 2017, uh, yes, 2016 and 2017, Trump paid $750 in federal income tax each year. Um, Ten of the preceding 15 years, Trump paid zero in federal income tax. And just to put a finer point on it, Trump and his people keep saying, that's not true. I paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in income tax, whatever. What what Trump is talking about, maybe Stephanie Rule or somebody pointed this out very smartly. Um, If you are self-employed, like Cliff and I are, you end up having to pay your own FICA tax, which is your own share of Social Security and Medicare. Normally, right, your employer will pay like half of it. In this case, when you work for yourself, you've got to pay your own. So, for example, okay, let's say I make $100,000 a year self-employed. I think my federal taxes, okay, my total taxes I pay the feds might be $16,000. But 12 or 13, maybe 12,000 of that is my social security, and my Medicare. I'm only paying maybe I'm hypothetically here, right? Three or 4,000 in federal tax. Well, that's fine. The rest fair, of it is social be, security. Sorry, Cliff. But let's be honest, John, don't, don't bullshit it. Let's be honest. Hmm. That's only because John spends $70,000 on his hair every year. We do the video uh, on how, how just, you know, luscious, voluptuous. I'm looking for the words to describe John's flowing locks. My flowing locks. But no, but to put a finer point on it, the issue is it is very hard to get away from paying Social Security or your Medicare tax. It's very difficult when you're self-employed, whereas your overall federal tax, meaning what does Uncle Sam charge me? What tax rate? The 28% tax rate, the 30% tax rate, that you get away with with all those tax dodges that Trump did. He couldn't get away from Social Security and Medicare, that's what he paid his taxes in in 2016 and 17. So he keeps lying and going, I paid federal taxes. And it's like, no, you didn't. You didn't pay a dime of anything that went to the troops, that went right. to healthcare, that went to our roads. You paid into your own Social Security. That's all you did because you, well, couldn't, question, you couldn't get away with it. Because, I mean, maybe you know the answer to this or maybe you uh, don't. I'm, I'm certainly no tax pro and I don't know mm-hmm. if you are or not. But then how was he able to avoid paying that 750 those 15 previous years? Did he just break the law and not do it? He was supposed to. Well, no, because the 750 wasn't his social security. The 750 was actual federal income tax. Oh, I got you. I got yeah. You. Okay. Yeah. So he he even he even had more. Remember, he he basically the, this carryover interest rule, whatever it is. But um, one of the things you're able to do with your own taxes is and I found this like when I was living in New York and I rented out my condo. Right. And then the condos like considered a business. It's a really weird thing because it's it's not your principal place of business business. It's excuse me. It's not your principal place of living or whatever. So it's business income, and you've got to depreciate your. Con- I, I had accounts to this because I don't understand it. You depreciate your condo. Well, what happens? I learned this by the way. If you're ever renting out your condo, it takes a long time to make money on it because the first couple of years, the first couple of months, you lose money because you can't rent it out yet. You're right. getting it painted, so you've just lost in DC, mind you, two and a half thousand dollars a month on your mortgage or whatever, and then you rent it out to people. The, the management company gets up there. Anyway, it took maybe a year and a half, two years for me to break even, and with depreciation, I must have had, I think I had like a twenty-five thousand dollar deduction or something insane because of depreciation. It, very complicated here, but that's just me having a regular one bedroom condo and that 25,000 carried over for a couple of years because I didn't have, I didn't make nearly enough that I could, oh, write off 25,000 in taxes. That was a huge amount. 
So it carried over for a couple of years. Well, Trump, because he's got all of these huge businesses and all of these corporations, he's got set up the LLCs and blah, blah, he's able to depreciate and write off that he's got huge amounts of, and his businesses are so unsuccessful well, anyway. Yeah, right? important point to make is yeah. you can write off losses, right? And exactly. you know, I, I do that and do, if you have stocks, you're able to, to count that against the value of, you know, uh, uh, and, and lower uh, right. your tax rate. Uh, yep, yep. Somebody on a grand scale. I mean, this is the thing that's that's yeah. just amazing to me. Is they didn't just pick like a shitty businessman to be the apprentice. He he is the shittiest businessman I may have ever come across when I've read enough about people. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, who finds a way? And and then even on top of all that, the the four hundred million in today's dollars left to him by daddy that we know about. I'm sure there's other money left to him that additionally that we don't know about, and they found ways to not even you know, report for other tax purposes, other things. But on top of that, he made all this this ridiculous money off of The Apprentice, that stupid right. fucking show. They made this person just something he's he, the opposite of what he is. And he, he, he <clears throat> excuse me, and he blew all that. Like, he's a fucking moron. He went out with that, some of The Apprentice money and invested in all these stupid businesses with the Trump name on them, all of which flopped because, again, he can cannot have a day where he works hard, works consistently, does anything but watch TV and eat three scoops. His businesses went completely to shit. He, he blew all these casinos. Casinos. People right. hand you fucking money at casinos for nothing. And then you right. get them drunk because you give them free drinks. And you don't let them know that there's an outside world by, by not putting windows and all the other tricks they use, pumping oxygen in the room to keep you awake longer right. and everything. And, the, and people f- lose all sorts of money to you for nothing and you still find a way to lose money. Yeah. Like I can't even fathom yeah. being fucking worse businessman. Well, and you know what it, it kind of makes a yeah. legitimate write off. Yeah. Those ones, cause he's so terrible at business. It, it kind of makes me wonder. And I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like postulate cause I don't know, but it, he's so bad at business and he loses so much money, but he's able to do the brand marketing. Like he did with the apprentice. He's able to actually good funny. Yeah. Well, your little buddy, Nick Corisanti or whatever, not, uh, or Confessori, sorry, at uh, at the uh, New York Times, had tweeted about the article. About, yeah, you used to babysit him, right? Um, had tweeted about the New York Times article and said something to the effect of, so he got you know a huge inheritance from dad, waste lost it, then became then went into then uh what did it, then marketed his name with the no then then, mar, then marketed his name with the apprentice, got a lot of money, then lost it. <laughs> and right. then and basically he kept going back and forth with this. Every time Trump did real business, he lost money. And then he would use the name of him being supposedly a famous businessman to make more money marketing his name. And then he'd lose that money. That's what I was going to say. It makes me think of a Ponzi scheme where or people who are down on their luck and they're using one credit card to pay off the other. And they just keep going again and again and again. Right. And you, you right. And people know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I wonder with Trump whether whether he's just, you know, you keep doing new investments and people give you money to put your name on a building and then that goes to pay off the old investment and so on and so on and so on until the day you die. And in the meantime, you're living high in the hog in a Liberace designed, you know, gay penthouse in in New York City. I mean, I, I don't it's God, it's I'm looking now, by the way, Cliff, there's um Alex Thompson, who I really like. He's with Politico, I think. Yeah, he's Politico covering the campaign. He's very good. Uh, Just shared three new Trump ads that he's running, presumably on Facebook. 
one of which said or on the internet, one of them has a picture of Biden and they've they put oil on his face and blacked out his face, all stuff, all kinds of things. Biden is too old and out of it to be president. Paid for by the Trump Make America Great. This is actually Trump's own ad. Joe Biden doesn't have the fortitude to be president. And it's a picture of Biden in bed trying to look confused. And then they've got another one where they stopped the camera at one point that makes Biden look crazy. I'm Joe Biden and I forgot this message. Paid for by the Trump Great Make America Great Committee. This is super packs have to make sure it's his own. That's his own campaign, though. Trump. I mean, we're, ne- we're never going to behave in you know, in the way they do. It's the super PACs and others. I mean, Lincoln Project and Vote Vets. You've seen some of the stuff some of these guys have put out yeah. there. Have to make sure that they're targeting all the same similar people on Facebook because you've seen some of the ads that that and we've shared some of this like, on Twitter of him like literally ambling down that ramp like he's ninety five years old at at West Point, it's, you know where he said ridiculous things like Thailand and you know Yo Semite and whatever. I mean, it's very easy to respond to that and show how ridiculous he is. So I'm just hoping super PACs and people like that. I've seen some of it, so I know they've done some of it. I've seen some of it's been on TV right. where they've done that. So I'm hoping they, if they've targeted people too, again, uh, look, you know, I, I'll never say that, that anything can't work. I think it's harder for it to work in the current situation we're in. That's all. And when Trump is, is saying and doing unbelievable things all the time that people see because he's holding press conferences himself he's choosing to broadcast how crazy he is to people yeah Yeah. and that makes it less effective if they had somebody who wasn't completely ruled by his deep insecurities and mental illness you know if they had even if they had a Mitt romney if they had whatever that person would 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 understand and be like my shutting up would be helpful so i'm going to do that and we're going to go after this guy that but trump it's impossible Right. You know, and again, I'm not saying this can't work, and I'm not saying Trump can't win. I'm saying everybody needs to get the hell out out there and vote and yeah. talk to friends oh, and family. But, but right what? now, well, I, I got something for you though. Right, finish you it right now, but then I've actually got a question to ask you, so you'll be oh, continuing. No. <laughs> I hope I ran up on everything. Okay, go ahead, John. Well, because no, we've almost gone an hour, we're almost at an hour and a half. So that's why I was going to say we could maybe wrap it up in a second. But what I wanted to ask you because there were the recent Alaska poll that was pretty wild. And a couple other polls. Do you want to just talk about those really quick? <clears throat> sure. I mean, were there new ones? ones from like there was a, the Alaska one that we we all were tweeting in the last 24 hours that showed Biden <laughs> almost tied, and it showed the Democrat almost tied with the with uh, what's his name, Dan? What's his face? Yeah, the Senate race. Oh, uh, Dan, Dan Sullivan. Sullivan. I feel like is the name of the Sullivan. Republican. Yeah. Our guy is uh, is Al Gross, who's an independent. Yeah, there it is. Trump's up 47, 46. And Sullivan's up 46, 45. Jesus Christ. Alaska. I hadn't even seen that. See, that's the stuff where I'm just like, Michael Bloomberg or somebody, come on. Alaska's so deep. Just just drop. I mean, honestly, if you dropped $10 million into Alaska, you would saturate the airways. You are scratching your mic, big boy, just so you know. Oh, sorry. It sounds like you're making love to your mic with your beard. Like, let me scratch you back and forth. I gotta tell you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, Bloomberg. I, no, you know, Cliff, this, again, knock on wood, we've got to destroy these people. But this is the kind of thing that can cause an unexpected blowout, meaning where even somebody like McConnell, who is doing very well against Amy McGrath. We love Amy McGrath, but the polls aren't great. That even somebody like McConnell, you know, it, it could get overthrown. I mean, he could lose his seat if if things go insane on election night. 
Well, and somebody's brought another important thing, right? Which is if there's a dispute over electoral college votes, um, which, you know, might, might, might be the last sort of uh, right. the resort of these tyrants uh, yeah. if we blow them out. And it does, in fact, go to the House. Every House member doesn't get to vote. The House delegations right. from each state vote as a state. Correct. So the states that have one House member, that's the only person that votes. And there, are, uh, an example would be right now because what's his name from Alaska? Who you know, the longtime House member, Don Young. Yeah. Shit. He at this point is so unpopular that that is a margin of error race. And the Montana one, uh, House seat now. We're not talking about the Senate seat, which is also close, right. and the presidential is close, is also a margin of error race. So thinking about that would also be another motivation to put a bunch of money up in Alaska and oh. Montana, because oh. if you win those two house seats, you know, you've got those two delegations nailed oh. down. Now, again, just to reiterate what Cliff is talking about is if the election, uh, I'm trying to think of how this works actually. Is it, if it's, is it, if it's, if it, is it, if the electors can't agree, I'm not sure what the, what the tip off is or what, what sort of is the, the tripping line here of what throws it to the house. Um, it, you mean? I, well, and I'm not an expert. I know, I know we've got to get an expert. Constitutional if, it's a, if it's a, um, yeah, the word I'm looking disputed, um, you know, so let's say the worst case scenarios we've seen in if Pennsylvania, you know, and Michigan and some of these states are closer than the polling is showing right now. Yeah. Close enough that, okay, Biden wins, but he wins by like a point. Yeah. Yeah. And and then their state legislatures, which are controlled by Republicans, sadly. And again, right. I don't know if we'll say that governors and attorneys general have yeah. to because we have those positions and secretaries of state who usually handle votes and some of You are states. scratching your mic just so you know. Maybe it's, oh, you know, it's probably your headset again. Sorry, I, don't mean, I don't mean to keep interrupting, but you're literally you were doing so good the whole hour. I'm, yeah, that you know, right there was like yeah, scary. Actually. Um um so so yeah. you know, in 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 the worst case scenario, yeah. and again. Like people shouldn't freak out. I don't think it will ever get to this. I think it's very the, there's bigger chance that that a lot worse things will happen. You know, right. there's a bigger chance that a meteor right. will hit us. Well, I shouldn't say that, but say that. I, mean, no. I think the chances are very. There small. is an asteroid, remember the one coming by shortly. That's going to be oh yeah, it's it's going to be closer to the Earth than the Moon. There you go. Yeah, see? right before the election. Yeah, yeah. So, no, we didn't have enough shit going on this year. Oh, Who no. stop it? Will it be Vladimir Putin, the murder hornets, or yeah. any, the the meth gator, or any other things that, that oh, are happening? Any, you know what? I'm sorry. Let, let's finish explaining. So basically, if we follow the process, and I guess it's it's if the electoral college can't decide or whatever, then it gets thrown to the house, and if the house can get its act together. You know, because who knows what the Republicans could do to stop it or even the Democrats. If the House gets its act together, then the House will choose the president and each House delegation, meaning California with 40 some seats and Alaska yeah, with one seat. What the majority of the California IG, I wonder what way they'll Each go. one gets one vote. California gets one vote. Alaska gets one vote. So that's what Cliff is saying about maybe we need to win a couple of these smaller states. But the one thing is I know people. Wait, Cliff, let me let me finish this real quick. Right? Yeah. Only because people are going to be asking the question a lot of you are going to say, wait a minute. I heard Pelosi becomes the president. What happens there is if the House can't even get its act together and the House isn't able to vote on who becomes president, then by default, when January 20th hits at noon, 
according to the Constitution, Trump is no longer president. His term expires if nothing happens. Then Pelosi as speaker might become president. So that's yeah. that's where we keep saying, oh, Pelosi is going to be president. If the House doesn't have its own election, which goes state by state, which is the point Cliff is raising. Right. It's confusing. And, and, but what I was going to say, because there's this piece here, you know, Politico, <laughs> that says what I just told you. And then I started thinking about it. So I may not have the proper understanding because I thought that this would happen before the new folks are sworn in. That's but the other question. Used to be saying that it would be. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, we just need to, to never come to this point because we need to win by between eight and 12 points as all the polls are saying. And, and tell people, and the point there is that new members of the House, of the Congress, right? The entire House will get voted on. The entire House is up for reelection. Early January is when they get sworn in. January 20th is when the president gets sworn in. So up until early January, you've got the old House seated. That's correct. And this would just be another way where you would sit there and be like, on, you know, Unfucking believable if they the did best. it this way because you'd be like, again, North Dakota gets the same vote as California. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like where the House becomes the Senate or the Electoral College, where which already are the ways that that the minority is is favored. Um, but we need to make sure this never happens. And if if, if it's an eight point to ten point victory, as polls are saying, because everybody does all the things <laughs> I've told them to do three times, I won't I will drive you crazy by saying them all again. Um, and and the recent polling that's shown that Biden's leads have grown in key Midwestern states in Arizona, a poll, I think he's, he's getting close to a four or five point average in Arizona, you know, higher than that. And so I think maybe in Michigan and uh, and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, somewhere in there, Florida, it got way too close for comfort. And now it, I'm not saying it's uncomfortable, but it's gone back up from, you know, being a one point on average Biden lead. Do I think we're, we're, there have been a few that have shown him three, four, five up? Right. Like, we need, you know, we need to make sure that uh, that all that happens. And then, you know, then none of this will matter. Yeah. But, oh, um, God. All right. We've been talking for a long time. An interesting thing I'll say here is it's going to be fascinating because even if Democrats do have a, a bigger night in the Senate, the kind of night we hope for, the kind of night where you win Montana and Alaska, where people are like, holy shit, we won the open seat in Kansas. We beat Lindsey Graham. I mean, like a huge night, let's say. If we were to have a huge night, huge um, huge. We, right. we would actually take eight to ten Senate seats, maybe even eleven or so. Um, and but even under that scenario, we would not have sixty votes in the Senate. And that's where I think the 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 um, what Fred Gutenberg to close it out with our guest and other people like him have to say is going to be very important in convincing uh, President-elect, hopefully Joe Biden and the Democrats in the Senate to get rid of the filibuster. Because even with 57 seats, even if they were to have a blowout night, there is simply no way they will get the three Republican seats to pass uh, an assault weapons ban, to pass you know uh, background checks, to pass climate change legislation, to pass good COVID legislation, to all the kinds of things we want. They will block it all as they have in the past. And that's where I think people that think the filibuster will remain are, are going to be mistaken because I think all the base of the, the party, people like Fred are not going to stand for it. By the way, you know, I had missed this story and McKay Coppins at The Atlantic tweeted it this morning and I was hearing rumblings, but I hadn't seen it. I know we've gone long, but I want to mention it really quick that Trump made all of these disparaging comments about faith leaders. I didn't oh, know that either. Well, 
mind you, you and I, I think have joked about this, but we know when, when they all those pictures of the faith leaders surrounding Trump and they're laying hands on him and his head is down. And, you know, you know what he's re- we all knew. It's not like we knew the suckers right. and losers. We know what he's really saying. Right. It's just it's knowing right. it and having proof. <laughs> right. But the thought bubble in Trump's head when people are laying hands on him, closing their eyes and looking to God going, hallelujah, you know, he's just thinking the most vile things. You know, he's like, you know, so McKay Coppins, uh, Mormon, which I think is relevant because he's talking about sort of the religious angle here, says that uh, former aides, uh, plural, say they've heard Trump privately ridicule conservative religious leaders, dismiss faith groups with cartoonish stereotypes and deride rights and doctrines held sacred by many in his base. When Trump learned about a megachurch pastor trying to raise 60 million to buy a private jet, he was delighted by the, quote, scam. Trump called it, according to Michael Cohen, and eager to highlight that the pastor was full of shit. They're all hustlers, Trump said. One former aide uh, told told McKay, Trump seems to feel a kind of kinship with certain uh, prosperity gospel preachers. It helped that Trump seemed to feel a kinship, often evincing a game, recognizing game. Oh, game recognizes game appreciation for their hustle. Oh, yeah. he felt a kinship because he thought they were hustlers. He goes, yeah, it's like me. The former it's campaign been like me, exactly. The former campaign advisor recalled showing his boss a YouTube video of the Israeli televangelist Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn's Israeli? I don't even know who Benny Hinn is. Oh my God, Benny Hinn. Uh, really bad like hair job. Um, way back when we were growing up, the Benny Hinn show, hallelujah. And he was this like, I mean, I'm sure I've seen him before, but oh uh, my god, know. hysterical! Um, while Trump laughed at the spectacle and muttered, "Man, that's some racket." On another occasion, the advisor told me Trump expressed awe at Joel Austin's media empire, particularly the viewership of his televised sermons. Um, Does that mean that's what Trump's next thing? He should he should start a religion. Oh, here we go. In Cohen's recent memoir, he recounts Trump returning from his 2011 meeting with the pastors who laid hands on him and sneering. Can you believe that bullshit? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly what you know he would do. Exactly right. what he just This is an article somewhere that just came out. Yeah. Where do you know? Oh, this is McKay Coppins Atlantic piece. His new piece yeah. of the Atlantic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's in the piece. OK, I heard you say yeah. McKay it out i didn't know that he wrote it i'll have to go check it out it'll be fun oh god uh once once years ago melania informed trump that their son was at a play date with a jewish girl from his school now mind you would you i mean like how does he even know it's jewish whatever great trump said to michael cohen who's jewish i'm going to lose another one of my kids to your people oh because melania converted <laughs> um they're the same Woo. they're sister wives God, he used to always mock Mitt Romney in his undergarments, which is about Mormon. It's a Mormon thing. Um, anyway, you get it. He, wow. Wow. He's such a, but again, you know what? Give me a break. Give me a break, right? I mean, oh, Donald Trump hates people of faith. Big fucking shock there, folks. I know. They these people know what they're getting. They, they do know what they're getting. They're they're cons too, as as Trump recognizes, so they don't care. Yeah, exactly. Con recognizing con. All right, let's wrap this baby up. All right, guys. Uh, that was good. So uh, we're back. Well, actually, we may even be back tomorrow since the debate is tonight. I suspect we will be. So, Cliff, let's uh, we'll just There's check. A chance it will just be a John and Cliff debate tomorrow. Um, <laughs> or debate. A John and Cliff debate. <laughs> I think we're going to agree. <laughs> yeah. Debate review tomorrow, and we can talk yep. about what we saw. Yep. Um, and uh, that, as they say, is that. Folks, okay. Thank Thanks, you guys. We'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Take care.
And now a quick word from our sponsor. John, now that we've said goodbye to summer, it's time for things to get back in our everyday autumn groove. I've heard that. Yeah, groove, man, groove. (laughs) Kids are back to school. Everything is flavored with pumpkin spice, which you like. And before you know it, the leaves will start changing color. With so much changing around us, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time for you, the time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. Well, guess what, John? With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes, and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a quickly studied serum that gives your appearance the right kinds of changes. Visibly reduced wrinkles, fine lines, and even under-eye bags in minutes. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, number 11s, and crow's feet. It'll take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. The result will last for hours, so you can take family apple picking and look your best the whole time. Take the family apple picking. Pardon me. Even better, they used apple picking. Like apple picking is the example of when, my God, my eyes better look good for apple picking. I know. That's exactly when you need to look your best when you're picking apples. <laughs> hey, well, if it works, hey. <laughs> Plexiderm does not involve any visits to a surgeon and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you and your friends. Mm. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com. Or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags, don't get number 11s, disappear with Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES at checkout. 